Welcome to Tiny Seed Tales. This is the final episode of season six, where I spoke with Tony from Cloud Forecast and covered their journey for just about a year when they were part of the Tiny Seed Accelerator Batch. This episode serves as a nice capstone to the season. We reflect on where they've come from and we look ahead at where they're going. Thanks so much for joining me for season three of Tiny Seed Tales. Feel free to reach out at Rob Walling on Twitter and let me know if you enjoy these episodes and would like to hear a season four. And with that, Let's dive into this episode of Tiny Seed Tales. It is very hard to switch from being tactical where we're at right now to being more strategic and looking at the bigger picture of our business, right? And it does feel very scary and it's hard to remove control over what I've been doing for the last three or four years. Welcome back to Tiny Seed Tales, a series where I follow a founder through their struggles, victories, and failures as they build their startup. I'm your host, Rob Wallen. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator designed for bootstrappers. This is the final episode of our season with Cloud Forecast, the AWS cost monitoring service. Today, Tony and I are going to revisit some of the most prominent challenges and milestones that the business has faced over the last year or so. Sir, it's been two months since we last spoke. And I feel like there's a lot to catch up on. Yeah, we had MicroConf. That was really cool. That's right. Good, good seeing you in person and you Tiny too. Seed Retreat. And we're at the end of Tiny Seed. So yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot has happened. I mean, like every time we meet up, there's always something crazy going on. So yeah, for people to level set, this was MicroConf in Minneapolis in uh, early 2022. And you had been to MicroConf before, right? No, this was my first one. Was it? Okay. Yeah, never been. So it was very overwhelming, but overwhelming in a good way. So I really enjoyed my time. Awesome. You think you'll come to a future one? For sure. I think this might be a mainstay of one we go to every year. I think the the big thing we're looking forward to is just reconnecting with people that we met in person or met for the first time. But I think this is going to be something we go to every single year. We got hooked. so It happens to the best of us. And it really does happen to a lot of people, you know, and there's a reason we have a high return rate because it is, for me, you know, just because I put it on doesn't mean it didn't change my life too. <laughs> you know, and, and the first several years for me were like, oh my gosh, we're building a community of like-minded people. And everyone here is that, I think someone used the phrase like, we're a band of misfits. It's a bunch of bootstrappers. You don't ever see this many bootstrappers, you know, especially with this focus in a room. And they all know what our stupid acronyms mean. And they all know what you're going through and the roller coaster stuff we've talked about on this podcast. They're all doing it too. Yeah, it's definitely re-energizing. It was kind of a bit of therapy too, right? Because like a lot of the dinners that I had, everyone kind of talked about things they were going through and everyone can relate and it was really nice to get a lot of things I'm struggling with personally or things I'm doing well in and people understand and they can relate and they know exactly what's going on without you having to provide a lot of context and explain things. They know exactly what's going on as well and know how to listen and provide the right advice at the right time. So beyond MicroConf, you had mentioned last episode that you were looking forward to your content and SEO getting rolled out, that you were getting started with being more strategic about planning it, and that you were looking forward to learning more, iterating, and starting to see results. That was two months ago. Update us on where you are. I wouldn't say we're doing more of it as in we're publishing a lot more content, but we're being very intentional of how 
we approach things and getting the most of what we have existing, right? So one of the big focuses that we have right now is actually designing our blog. So it will be more conversion friendly or sign up friendly or allow users to go through and kind of climb through our content pieces that we're pushing out and being very intentional about the UI UX design. So we're looking forward to that. Ironically, we are on Jekyll, but we're moving to WordPress. Um, and it was a very intentional decision, you know, for me as a non-technical co-founder, every time we needed to make a change or adjustment on our Jekyll instance, it requires Francois' time, right? It requires his time to devote to it, to adjust some things. There's custom work that needs to be done. Whereas for us, WordPress, it allows me to do what's needed and test things out, try things out and allows me to have control over it. And when we hire someone, that is less of a barrier entry for them to adjust things. There is a lot of controversy with WordPress. You know, engineers and developers don't like it, but the utility of it's still there. As long as you're doing it the right way, it should work out perfectly fine. And there's a lot of great blogs and websites and resources that are built on WordPress today, and it works perfectly fine, right? So Francois, I think on his side, he was okay with that, right? And he understood the utility and the business decision of moving to WordPress. So we're doing that right now. So that's kind of a big undertaking of migrating everything over. And then from there, it gives us a lot more options to try things out, like moving call to actions, building pillar pages, and expand that further and just build resource pages. I think it'll be pretty cool once we have that. So it's almost like doing more with what we have right now. And not necessarily when we think of SEO and content, we think of it like we publish more content, we publish more, we publish 10 articles a month, but it's not about that, right? It's like, how can we take what's existing and make sure it converts and users also are getting value of what we're writing about too. So less is more. That platform conversion process, I always find frustrating because for me it's like standing still it's like your end users won't notice and won't care but you need to do this for a business purpose like we're on squarespace for example with tiny seed microconf and the page load time sucks and that's not good in terms of seo rankings and so we have looked at migrating and the bottom line is it's probably ten thousand dollars in a month of work I mean, it just sets us back in terms of like, to me, it feels like, quote unquote, wasted person hours that could be dedicated to something else, like actually creating new content, you know, or helping founders or whatever. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's a little bit like dealing with legal crap. Oh, GDPR request. Oh, GDPR changed again. And now I have to, you know, it's it's just those things that are like plumbing that no one notices, but you need Mm -hmm. to do to keep your business afloat. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. And it's hard, especially for us with limited resources. Like a lot of our customers don't see about probably 50% of the work I personally do, or even Francois does, right? When he's refactoring a bunch of code and making sure the app is working, or he is doing some baseline work in our database, so it sets us up for success and expanded features. Users don't see that, right? And it's, I wouldn't say it gets discouraging, especially if it takes longer, but it's... It's hard to sit through that when I know that in the short term, it stalls, right? When your team is moving mountains to migrate a site or refactor code, it can definitely feel frustrating that your customers probably won't appreciate all the effort. But here, moving to WordPress is in service of improving cloud forecast blog. 
Even if people aren't noticing what's happening behind the scenes, their content strategy is receiving some attention. You mentioned offline before we started recording that you have an article at the top of Reddit right now, which can cut both ways. It's great because you get a lot of attention and it sucks because you get a lot of attention. So what what is your current sentiment about being at the top of Reddit and having what thousands, if not tens of thousands of eyes on your piece? Part of me is like, I want off of it. I want off this ride. I don't know. Like I care deeply what people think about me. I care deeply about what people think about our company and how we approach things as well. Like this piece was supposed to be just fun and it's just an informational piece, right? And it has a like a Photoshop picture of Jeff Bezos riding a rocket with a cowboy hat on or something. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's- we talked about Jurassic Park and there's no part in the piece where we're taking an absolute stance on how we reduce carbon footprint with data centers and all that kind of stuff. We had a researcher who spent a lot of his academic career doing research, right? So like the statistics don't lie. Like I know that he's vetted out further, but it was just so surprising to see so many assumptions and things that people extracted from the article. And it was very irrelevant, right, to what we wrote about. So I think that was really hard to see, like... And really hard to stomach. We're exposed, right? And there's no going back at this point. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I've been at the top of Hacker News many times with blog posts where I took a stance. Some when I didn't take the stance, people were claiming top of Reddit, top of Dig back in the day. Each of these, it always feels like that. And it sucks because what happens, what I found is there's often a bunch of positive comments. And then the further it goes on, People come out with these big, weird, negative takes. Sometimes it's true trolling, and other times there's something about social media that, like, the more it's exposed to, suddenly someone has to be the big contrarian and show how smart they are. And, I mean, I've written 3,000-word pieces that are, like, as long as a book chapter that I'll spend 8 to 12 hours writing, and someone will copy and paste not even a sentence, but a single phrase out of it and make a comment on it out of context and imply that it meant X, Y, Z when it totally doesn't if you read even the sentence before it and after it. But it's just like, it's really, a, I think, a, a tragedy of social media. Yeah. And I think if people like met me in person too, they would not say that to my face or like they'll see that I'm a pretty reasonable person and we don't take things that seriously, right? So... It's been a good day. Like, it's cool to see our article upvoted and people commenting and such. But it's been heavy today to a point where I'm like, I'm probably just going to take the rest of the day off and sit on the couch and play some video games to get my mind off of it. We'll link to the article in the show notes if you're curious. It seems like all that attention has taken a toll on Tony, but characteristically, he can see the bright side of having controversy on Reddit. Ignore the trolls and focus on the engagement. To focus on something more positive, I caught up with Tony about Arturo, the new senior engineer that he and Francois had just hired in the last episode. They were pretty excited about onboarding him. Let's check in. One of your big wins from last episode was you hired a senior engineer, very, I have it in all caps, very quickly, crazy fast. And one of the things that your co-founder, Francois, who was on the last episode, talked about was he was most looking forward to that developer, Arturo, starting and having another engineer and how that would basically be game-changing 
for you and the company. And so I guess to start with, how big is your team now that he's on board? And how has that been progressing, the onboarding? We're a team of four now, including Francois and I. And that's not including all the part-time freelance agencies and contractors we've hired to execute different parts of the business. But Arturo has been amazing. Same with when Katya started, but he has brought a level of professionalism, expertise from his previous job and bringing it here. And he compliments Francois really well because he's very thorough. I'm not saying Francois is not, but he's he's very thorough in terms of how he thinks about projects. He's always thinking about customers as well, which is awesome and amazing. Even I think at this point, he's about six weeks into his job. And I believe on like week two, he was already pushing code into production. And so it was extremely helpful. An example is Katia has been working on our full redesign of our app. And we finally soft launched it recently to our users. We haven't announced it publicly yet, but there were so many little tasks that needed to be done. And it was very meticulous and very nuanced. And I think there was about maybe 60 tasks total just to complete it. And he just jumped in and proactively solved some problems that we were trying to figure out, took care of projects that didn't require Francois to jump in. He just said, hey, I'll do this. Let me connect with Katia. We'll figure it out. And Francois did not have to get involved. So I think for Francois, it's been a big relief on his side is like he can push out ideas and kind of get things started. And then Arturo from start to finish knows how to research, do what's needed to execute it, and then come back to us and give us some ideas. So he's been a huge help in that way. And we hope that as we grow out some of that team, he can be a really good force and good model for how we want our engineers to act and be like within our organization as a bootstrap startup. I think the thing that I really respect about him and what he does is he's very, very proactive. There's not one part where he's like, hey, can I help? Can I help? Can I help? And his mentality is, I can figure it out. I can figure it out, right? And that is the ideal startup founder mentality as well, right? Like, Or someone who works at a startup. It's a problem that might be really tough, but I can figure it out. And I think it's a very important skill to have versus hey, I don't know what to do, right? Like I'm stuck, right? So I think that's been the most amazing thing that I've noticed from Arturo's productivity and what he's been producing. That's great to find someone like that. You know, that can go too far in one direction where someone will take two days to grind on something, but they could have asked you and you would have told them the answer in 20 minutes or something. I've had employees like that or Mm -hmm. team members, but it doesn't sound like he's doing that. It sounds like he's a good balance of wanting to and being able to figure stuff out on his own. Yeah, we put him on a pretty big project that he's working on right now. He's kind of redoing a bit of how we approach some of our features and how we build reports. You know, we send reports to our users about their AWS costs via email, Slack, and Microsoft Teams. Right now, the report is very black box. There's not much you can change. You can adjust some thresholds and such, but what you see is what you get, right? Like, that's the email. So he's rewriting some of our backend and moving away from Scala and moving it back to Ruby. So that way we have some flexibility because right now there's some mismatch on the backend, but he's rewriting some of those things. And then by doing that, 
we're going to give users a lot more flexibility of types of reports that they can see or templated reports. So if users want to send a report to the CFO and there's some information that is particular to the CFO, they can select that template and send that type of report out. Or if there's a specific DevOps team that they care about certain metrics, we're going to give them the flexibility to be able to build those reports to only show them information they want to see. So we're very excited that he's tasked with this pretty big project, but I think he's up for the challenge. Something you and I talked about in an earlier episode was that you had a part-time SDR and realized very quickly that that wasn't enough that you wanted to move more towards someone who's working more hours. I know that since then, like cold outreach wasn't necessarily a great win for you guys. So you've pivoted away from that altogether, I believe. But you really said, you know, I don't think we're going to do any more part-time employees. Like might hire some contractors, right? To do black box work or might hire agencies, but we have the resources and we need the speed of having people in-house full-time. Is that where you are? Is that where you sit today? Yeah, I think that's still very much our mentality. And I think our mentality has evolved a bit, chatting with people and learning from that uh, lesson as well. I think Francois and I put our heads together, like what kind of company we want to build? What kind of employees we want to hire? And last episode, we talked a lot about intentionality of how we do that. And one of the big themes that Francois and I came up with was like, we want to hire really smart people and give them the space to do really cool things and have them be fulfilled with their jobs. And I think that's what we're seeing with Katia. We're seeing that with Arturo. That's why Francois and I started our own business. Like We wanted the space to do something really cool. We wanted the space to help people out. We wanted the space to bring value to people. So yeah, as mentioned, that's evolved from if you hire someone part-time, it's harder to have them invested in it right? Especially if they're spending only 10, 20 hours, but someone that's full-time, 40 hours, investing their career, very smart and sharp, and they just want the creative space to do good work and bring good stuff to the table and learn. We want that to be something we can provide as a company now that we have more resources financially and the way our company is growing. Something else you talked about last episode was that your sales pipeline was increasing. And you, you really have had some ups and downs during this year of troughs where you have no sales pipeline and it was disappearing and then nobody was closing. And then suddenly you had this really big enterprise deal come through that doubled your MRR overnight. And last episode, it seems like things were upbeat, you know, that, that you were optimistic and that the pipeline was doing well. Where does that stand today? Have you closed any of those and what's the pipeline look like? Right now we have a few enterprise deals that we're actually about to close by the end of the month. The signals are very strong on that side. You know, some of the sales calls we had with particularly one, there's no better feeling. You know, when we sell into these companies, right, it's multiple people are at the table leveraging our product. And it's a bottom-up approach. So usually a DevOps engineer or engineering manager, they need to try out the product and then they need to get approval from people above them. So it's a very bottom-up approach. And every call that we've had with some of these opportunities, like we just had to sit back and the, our point of contact 
sold our product to the team. Like we didn't even have to say anything. There's no better feeling knowing that you have an advocate within the organization that gets your value, gets what you're doing and understands where our value is and vouching for you within the organization. That is very powerful to me. So kind of back to your question. Yeah. Like we had a very stellar March in terms of signups and opportunities, we soft launched a free community plan too. We're we're seeing really good traction on that. I don't think we even publicly announced it and people are signing up using it, which is really great to see. April was not as strong as March in terms of just pure signups, but the pipeline of enterprise opportunities is relatively the same there. So we closed these deals. I feel pretty good about where we're at. But at the same time, it's still it's still hard, right? Like we still have a lot of things going on. So it's hard to keep focus on that amongst the many other parts of the business that also need attention as well. So I think the challenge right now that we're running into is like, where do we prioritize our time and what's the most important right now? So I think that's been a, a big struggle for me at the moment. That's been the running theme of this season is almost every episode, you say something like, we don't want to make the wrong decision on where to invest our funds. I'm not exactly sure where we should be investing our time. How do we do it intelligently? And should we deploy more? And then you used Summit and you said, we have a lot of capital and we doubled our MRR. We have even more capital. And suddenly it felt like this weight. I mean, I won't say suddenly, it was pretty much been the running thing this this whole year. Where do you stand with that these days? I feel like it's getting heavier and heavier on my oh, side. man. <laughs> like I, I say that, right? But it's like every month, as we grew and as we got more capital, the weight gets heavier and heavier of like, especially on the business side, right? I'm solo right now. I'm the only one doing everything from marketing to customer success to support. Sales, Francois helps me out, you know, here and there, but it's a lot, right? And we get more customers, the more people that we have to support. And the more blog visitors that come in, right? The more pages I have to make sure they're optimized for SEO and like they're published well and it's promoted well and the whole process of content marketing that we're running through. So the weight is getting heavier and heavier every month for sure. And I think, yeah, even though I've said it multiple times, but it's been like different themes in different ways. The cool thing is like we've been learning too. Like we've been able to pivot even though I might have dealt with an issue the previous month and you know, where should I prioritize? Like we talked to a few tiny C mentors and advisors and they give us some advice and we're like, okay, cool. Like that is how we should approach it. And we execute on it and it makes things feel a little bit better, but yeah, it's still a lot of work, especially for me. I feel not going to lie. I do feel overwhelmed more so than before. And Francois definitely agrees with that as well. Yeah. And I wonder if that's something that'll get better long-term or if it'll just continue. Yeah. One thing that was really helpful too is I had mentioned that we were working with Demand Maven and that was a huge weight off my shoulders because they pretty much set up a pretty strong plan for us the next year on where we should be focusing on. I think one thing that you run into as a founder is like those decisions you make, you always wonder if it's the right one or the decisions you're making at the moment or you're already in the middle of it is it the right decision? And you, you talk about a lot, you're making a lot of decisions without complete data or knowledge. A lot of it's a educated guess of what you have in front of you. And the outcome of the Demand Maven research that they did with our customers were a few things. One is they said, you should invest in content and SEO. Great. You know, that affirms our 
approach and what we're doing right now. And it feels good to know that someone who chatted with our users, who are a lot smarter than us in marketing, have affirmed our approach of how we approach with content and SEO. So that's really cool. So I think that has been helpful with that and getting a different perspective of our business. Because I think sometimes when you're in it so deep and you're on a day-to-day, it's really hard to step back and see the bigger picture and think strategically about things as well. That's the value of advisors, mentors, mastermind groups, and high-quality consultants. They give you a sanity check, a second opinion. When Demand Maven validated Tony's content and SEO strategy, he had a massive weight lifted from his shoulders. But despite all the help and mentorship Tony's received this last year, he's still struggling with a different kind of burden. As I reflected on this season of Tiny Seed Tales, I went back and listened to the first couple episodes. And something you said in the very first episode was that you wanted to get low-end tasks off your plate, that you were still doing too much stuff in the business. And I don't remember if the context was customer support and success or if it was like internal ops and that kind of stuff. Do you still feel that way or do you feel like you have been able to get some of those tasks off your plate? I still feel very much that way. I think Francois framed it really well. He has gotten help and he has a lot of weight off his shoulders on the technical side. And that was an intentional plan for us because like, we want to iterate on features. We want to serve our users. We want to listen to their feedback and build product and features that they're asking for. And now Francois is at a point where he can take a step back, think strategically, plan out some things at a higher level and be able to pass it off to his engineering team and whoever we hire in the future. Whereas for me, I'm still like all those things I'm still dealing with. And I think on top of that, my learning process of SEO and content marketing, right? And what does that mean? So I think a lot of that has been very overwhelming for me. And we still want to do that, be able to pass things off. And I think the big area that we're looking into currently is actually hiring someone in SEO content. So we're actually looking for an SEO and content marketing manager at the moment. So we can hand off this big piece of marketing that I've been learning how to do and have someone smarter in place. So it frees up my time so I can work on other parts of the business like customer success, closing sales, ops, and so on. I think that would be a huge relief for me. Yeah, I was going to offer the advice that I don't think your next hire should be a full-time developer. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're getting kind of heavy on the on the dev side. Yeah, we're all set there, right? And Francois was like, hey, I think you need some help. And I was joking with my wife the other day. I'm like, if I had the opportunity to just like brain dump everything I have in my head right now and put it on a list, it can be probably 200 pieces deep in terms of like what needs to be done. I'm training myself to be okay with parts of the business not doing as well as other pieces, right? To focus on one particular thing, right? Which right now is how do we find that person that can fill in the SEO content marketing manager role? And that is like my sole focus. So I'm using your trick of labeling a bunch of emails that I don't need to look at right now archiving it and just once a week, just try to truck through it, right? Versus me feeling very overwhelmed, looking at it and doing it like that is not the priority. The priority for the business at the moment is to find someone on the marketing side to help and contribute and help grow our revenue. 
That is the number one priority. Nothing else matters at the moment. I don't think Tony will have much of a problem finding their content marketing manager. He and Francois have done a great job filling other important roles with smart, driven people. They're really committed to maintaining an intentional company culture that puts employees first. Building that culture didn't happen overnight. Cloud Forecast started TinySeed with two founders, and now they're four people full-time, plus a bunch of part-timers and agencies. They have almost 4x their revenue from the time when they applied to TinySeed. They dealt with Francois' paternity leave. Tony had to learn how to deploy capital and hire people and onboard them. It's been a cool journey over the last 12 months. Now I'm thinking about what will happen in the next year. So there will be a Tiny Seed Tales, where are they now episode in, let's say, a year, where you come on startups for the rest of us, and we talk about what's been your biggest win of the last year, your biggest loss, whatever's been going on with you. So in the spirit of wrapping this up, what are you least looking forward to in the next year? Yeah, I think it's not like I'm not looking forward to, but it is on the back of my mind You've talked about it. It's like you you go from a startup to becoming a business, from business to become a company. We're kind of in the in-between of a business and a company. So meaning Francois and I still have a lot of control on a day-to-day and we still contribute a lot and do a lot of things to push the business forward. And that's great. But in order for us to be successful, we need to scale. We need to hire people. We need to put really smart people in places that we are bad at or we just have a deficiency in. And I think that's kind of scary, right? We're taking the control that we've had the last three or four years and giving other people the keys to do really great work, right? No doubt in my mind, like they will be successful, especially if we hire the right people. But it is very hard to switch from being tactical where we're at right now to being more strategic and looking at the bigger picture of our business, right? And trying to become a company. So change is really hard. I think change is really hard for a lot of different people, whether it's life or like you're moving or you're moving to a new city. This is very much a change in our business right now where it does feel very scary and it's hard to remove control over what I've been doing for the last three or four years. I'm sure Francois feels probably the same way, but with the different context of him being an engineering side. So this is needed to grow the business, but how do we approach it? How do we shift? I don't know. Like, There's just so many questions that come from it of getting to that point. I can't wait to hear how it goes. And what are you most excited for over this next year? What do you hope has happened that you can talk about when you come back on the show? Yeah, I think one is building more of the business side and getting people in the door, hiring people, right? As mentioned, we are working on an SEO content marketing manager hire at the moment. So getting that person started, hopefully we can have someone come in maybe on the ops, admin, customer success support side as well. So that's another thing off my plate and someone that can handle that as well. So maybe in like a year and a half, we'll be a team of six to eight people. That is determined obviously by MRR growth. And I really hope that especially by the end of 2023, Demand Maven challenge us as like, can you double your MRR by the end of 2023? So right now we're hovering around 450, about to approach 500K in ARR. 
they think that if we execute the plan to the T, obviously it's more of a guidance approach rather than this is what you need to do step by step, but like here are some gaps and such. They have confidence that we can hit $1 million in ARR. It is a very lofty goal. It's very scary as well because like it's taken a lot of effort for us to get to close to 500K. I think this is about year four for us. Can we do that in a year and a half and move another half a million in just a year and a half? They seem to have confidence in us. Some people do as well. So that is what I hope. Not saying it will happen, but that's my hope is we hit 1 million by the end of 2023. Best of luck, Tony. I actually think you're going to reach your next goal earlier than you think. And then it's on to the next one. Thanks for listening. 